I've already shared a bit of my personal Pentecost story in another week when we focused on when I first believed, but I do want to go back to a couple things um, before I springboard my thought for tonight off of something that Sister Leela had said when she shared her story. Uh, so I did grow up in a Pentecostal home. Uh, my mom was a believer, is a believer, and uh, she took my brother, sister, and I to Sunday school and Sunday evening services and Wednesday night Bible studies. Uh, but my dad did not attend a Pentecostal church um, with us growing up and didn't really uphold uh, its beliefs. But we were able to be as involved as we could be growing up. And so um, this doesn't come as a shock really to anyone, to most people, but my sister and I were really um, shy little girls. And so I'm just giving kind of a context of me, you know, and my understanding uh, growing up. And so uh, if you've ever been in a Pentecostal church in our worship style, it's very expressive. We use our voice, we pray out loud, um, we worship with our, uh, uh, you know, it's very expressive worship with hands and bodies and things like that. And so being someone in my own personality, a little bit more reserved and shy, the context of church um, could be intimidating sometimes. And so I do remember though, feeling very close to God growing up and my family in Wisconsin, uh, we lived up the street from a honeybee farm, someone's house. They had converted their garage into a little convenience store. And so in the summer times, my sister, my brother and I and our friends, we would ride our bikes down to Kay's honeybee farm and you could buy honey products as well as candy bars and sodas and things like that. And I remember, you know, no kid grabs a candy bar and waits to get home to eat it. Now you open it right there, you get on your bike, you're single handle, you know, steering your bike and eating your candy bar at the same time. And I just remember little things like praying to God, Lord, please don't let anybody choke riding home, eating this candy. So it's things like that, that I remember feeling very close to God as a child and praying in my own way. And um, so now I want to jump ahead to being a 14 year old. Um, and by this time, my uh, parents had divorced and my family had moved to Colorado where my mom's side of the family was and we moved closer to be near them and my dad was back in Wisconsin and so at 14 years old going on 15 my sister and I uh, one cold night in March in our little church in Colorado that my family had started attending uh, we made the decision to be baptized and now, mind you, our house in Colorado, we had a hot tub. And my sister and I were baptized in freezing cold water in a horse trough <laughs> in uh, the church. And I thought, why? now I look back and think, who made that decision? We should have gotten baptized in that hot tub. But anyway, we were baptized. And I remember that's really when I started um, intentionally, being more intentional about seeking the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it was uh, a trip back to Wisconsin that following December 
we went back to see my dad and our friends that are very dear friends who are still some of our closest friends today um, invited us along with their church to go to the Wisconsin Holiday Youth Convention. And, you know, I, my sister and I were still fairly shy teenagers. Um, you know, not a whole lot had changed within my personality or anything, but uh, we attended the youth conference with our friends and uh, we were getting ready that night and, you know, did our hair and put on the outfit that you buy and you wait to wear for that uh, opening night service. And we went into the service, I remember, and it was um, loud and there were a lot of teens there. It was packed and the worship was going on and, you know, nobody could hear me, but God could. And I just remember saying to God, simply, I say, God, I'm not leaving this service without the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that night there was just a determination within me. Again, I was still a shy teenager. I was still who I was. Uh, were all my fears and reservations gone before I made this, you know, statement to God? No. But if I can say it this way, my desire that night was greater than my fears. And I'm sure there was wonderful preaching. I'm sure it was powerful, but I don't remember it. I just remember when the altar call was open, uh, my friend Becky and my sister, um, I made a beeline up to the altar. It was packed, you know, not, not the environment I felt comfortable in, but I had a determination in my spirit that I wanted to seek the gift of the Holy Spirit. And uh, they were praying with me and I remember a male minister came up and prayed with me and I can still visualize everything so vividly, um, even today. And it seemed like a split second that I was up there. I remember opening my eyes and I thought, oh, it must have been a second. Now, uh, I had been standing and I was crouched to the ground. The altar had cleared and it was my friend Becky standing there with me with the minister that had been praying with me. And um, I don't even remember hearing myself. I mean, remember, it's a loud youth conference. So I don't remember hearing myself, but I do remember the way I felt. Um, and uh, I had received, God had been faithful and I had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And something that Pastor Leela had said in her message was, when she was in the wee early morning of the uh, hours of the morning and she was in the baptismal water, she had made that decision to be baptized. She said, even in that moment, she wasn't quite sure about the Holy Spirit. She thought it still might be bogus, but God filled her and he was faithful to her. And I remember I've heard stories about people saying, God proved to me the Holy Spirit for me is not real and yet God fills them and in my experience I believed in it I had witnessed my friends and uh, peers being filled with the Holy Spirit at much younger ages than me but I wasn't quite sure how God would fill someone like me shy reserved and intimidated by uh, the atmosphere of the church and things like that. And so 
tonight there are two things that I'm thinking about that I'd like us to take away, no matter where you are in your walk with God today, whether you're curious about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, uh, as promised in the book of Acts, whether you are praying about the Holy Spirit. Is it for me? Is it for today? Is it real? Um, whether you're intentionally seeking the gift of the Holy Spirit and waiting on God. Um, there are two things that I want us to think about. And the first is your desire can be greater than your fear. And that's specific to my experience. Uh, but I know that that can be true for many of us. Fears might not dissipate. They might, but they might not. Don't wait to get over your fears to seek God. Sometimes we have to push past things. And in the moment for me, my desire was greater than my fear. And second, that whatever reason we give God, why the gift of the Holy Spirit shouldn't be or can't be for us, it just doesn't matter to God. His word says that this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That's out of Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39. This gift is for everyone and anyone. And uh, whatever reason we have, some people didn't even believe hardly in it, didn't, maybe thought it was bogus. For me, I thought, how can God fill someone like me? Um, but God is faithful to each and every one of us in the diversity and the differences of the stories that we're hearing this week. We hear how God is faithful to us in our uniqueness and as individuals. And I praise God for that tonight. Would you just take a moment with me and uh, make a prayer with your own words, uh, using your own words, and let's talk to God and just thank him. And thank him for the opportunity to seek this free gift that is for each and every one of us. God, I'm thankful tonight, Lord, that you reach for us in our individuality and in our uniqueness. All the reasons that we can think of why we can't have this free and perfect gift from you that is promised to us and anyone who seek it. Lord, help us to realize those reasons aren't reasons at all to you. I thank you, God, for this gift. I thank you, Lord, for the open hearts and minds hearing this message tonight and through this week. We celebrate the gift of Pentecost that we read in Acts chapter 2. And even more than that, Lord, we celebrate the fact and rejoice in that the gift of Pentecost is still for us today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Continue, Lord, to open our understanding. Continue, God, to minister to us so personally as you do. I'm thankful for a God who heard me and who is faithful to, to me in that moment. And I know, Lord, from my experience that you will be as personal and as faithful to each and every person who turns to you and asks you, Lord, for this very same gift. 
We thank you, Lord. We lift up your holy name. And I just pray that we continue to always, always, always seek your truth in the name of Jesus. Meg, thank you so much for sharing that testimony with us. I always love to hear the many ways that God moves in our lives and just to what extent he'll go to to reach us and to overcome our barriers. He is an awesome God. Well, I'm going to piggyback on Meg's testimony, and I'm going to share with you my Pentecost, uh, my story in coming to Christ, and in particular, um, as it relates to receiving the Holy Ghost. So I grew up in Washington, D.C., and I, my family was Baptist and um, proud Baptist. And so we attended a church that was really, I, I would call it highbrow. We weren't the shouting Baptists or, you know, even the Southern Baptists. I mean, we were pretty fancy. The church was beautiful, stained glass windows and pipe organ. Um, you know, it was huge, took up a city block. And um, in fact, we had our own, what we call family life center, where they had their own restaurant and uh, banquet hall and, you know, uh, recreation center. Like it was, it was, shallow was huge. I, I want to say at one point they were probably had about 5,000 members. And so that was my, pretty much my one and only experience with church. I mean, that's, that's pretty much all I knew um, growing up. And so, um, as I shared with you, when I shared my testimony about prayer, you know, as a little girl, I had that weird relationship with God, if, if you want to call it that, where I was always aware of him, you know, but in a wrong sense, aware that he was um, there, aware that uh, he had power, you know, because I was always making my appeals to him to rescue me from my situations. Um, but not necessarily in a, in a sense of repentance, but literally rescue me from my situation and let me go back to doing what I was doing. And so um, as I became a teenager, that, that became a more consistent thing. You know, the, the, the more foul I live, I have to go to church on Sundays to make a deal. And I wasn't a regular church goer, so let me, let me make that straight. We, we went to church, but we, it wasn't a regular thing for us. At my grandmother's house, you had to go to church. At our house, no. Um, and so as I became a teenager, you know, the more I would get into, the more guilt I would feel, the more pressure I would feel that God was going to get me. He's going to punish me for the things that I was doing. And so I would go to the church on Sunday, as I, as I shared with you, and I, you know, beg God to not let me reap what I sowed. And somehow he would alleviate that pressure. And so that went on, you know, pretty much all my teen years into my um, early, early 20s. Um, but in 1986, my oldest brother was shot. And uh, he was paralyzed from the neck down as a result of that for the rest of his life. But that year changed things um, in a huge way for us. That year, my mom spent most of her time at the hospital caring for him and making sure that he was cared for which left us with a lot of freedom. And so for me, things really escalated um, in, in terms of the things that I was doing and had access to do freely. And so the following uh, summer, when he was finally able to be discharged from the hospital, my mom decided that she was gonna move to Alabama. You know, my grandmother's family was, was from there and she wanted to get away from the city, you know, all the crime and all the craziness. And she just wanted to go somewhere where it was slower. And so she decided to, to move to Alabama. And she assumed that I was going with her. And uh, I was 16 at the time. And, you know, I, I quickly, you know, told her, oh, no, I'm not. I wanted no part of the South. I was a city girl to the heart. And so she just wasn't in the mood to fight. And my mom was a fighter. Um, 
you know, that that whole experience has taken, had taken a lot out of her. And I remember her saying to me, well, it's your little wagon, honey. You can push it or pull it. In other words, that's your choice. So be it. You deal with it. Make a way. And she bounced. She packed up that U-Haul and my brother and my little sister and she rolled. So my sister and I stayed behind in D.C. and, you know, we eventually got our own place and, um, which, you know, I'm really grown now. So I'm really doing crazy things, things that were even, um, over the limit for, for my standard. And, uh, so some years later, maybe when I was about 20, I think it was about 20, my sister and I bought a house and I'm working at Georgetown. I had a really good job. I worked for neurosurgeons for three or four years at Georgetown. Um, I had a nice car, you know, had a little money and you, you couldn't tell me nothing. I thought I was, you know, living large. Uh, but I was, oh, I was living with my boyfriend at the time and that was a big no-no, right? Even, even as I'm telling you how I was living, there was a line even for me that I knew um, was not good to cross. And so I was crossing all of my lines at the time. And, and so we were in the kitchen one day, my sister and her friend, and a friend asked me, was I saved? And at that moment, I hesitated. You know, if you were born in the Baptist church or if you were a member of the Baptist church, you know that you were always taught, you know, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, and thou shalt be saved. You're good. Right? I believe that. That's all I knew. I had nothing else to go on. But in that moment when she asked me that question, I hesitated. And I was thinking about how I was living. And I was thinking about what I knew of God. And it just didn't jive. And so my sister, you know, on the other side of the kitchen, you know, she's washing dishes. Some her back was to me. I remember that. She turns around because she hears my silence. She hears my silence. And she, and she says to me, what are, you, what are you hesitating for? And I said, eh, you know, I, and she goes, don't you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, and she goes, then you save. And if you know my sister, you don't win many arguments with my sister. So I'm just like, okay, whatever. But inside, that was a load of malarkey. And, and I didn't even know anything different. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me that I can live the way I'm living and all I have to do is believe that and, and all is well. It made no sense to me. And so, you know, that, that, was, I, that, that stands out of my mind as I think back till I believe that was God who was making me aware of that. It, it just didn't jive. And again, I had no Bible to say anything. I didn't know any more um, than that to, to refute that. So um, fast forward a few years um, to the, I, I would say around September of 1994. Um, I'm still in DC. I'm still shacking with my boyfriend. Um, you know, still got my good job. I'm living large. And my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer and it was to the point now that it was terminal. Uh, her daughter, who was my mother's sister, had also been diagnosed with uh, terminal brain cancer. In fact, the neurosurgeon that I was working for at the time, he was her doctor. And um, I had also found that I was pregnant about three months before that. So this is, this is in September. And life was getting scary. And things were, things were definitely escalating. I just got a new job with uh, an ENT office. In fact, it was my first management job. 
and they had been without a manager for quite some time. And so September 30th, my grandmother died. I just started a job maybe two weeks before, I just started that new job. So I left DC to go to Alabama for her funeral. Um, stayed a few days for the funeral, got back to DC, because uh, I had to, this was a new job, so I couldn't take off a lot of time. I get back to DC, uh, I think on a Sunday, had to be back to work on Monday. And that Monday morning, I had a miscarriage. And so um, I get back to work, I wanna say even the latter part of that same week, because I was really pressed because they were giving me a hard time about being out of work on this new job. And so I get back to work and I had no report with this new office. I had you know, lots of report to neurosurgeons, but not with this ENT office. And so um, I get fired because they said, you know, I'd taken off too much time and they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't have it. So now I've lost my grandmother, I've lost my job. And then my boyfriend says, hey, I'm moving back to Delaware. I'm like, seriously? You know, and he goes, yeah, you know, move with me. And, you know, I'm, things are so crazy. The last thing I'm thinking about is a move right now. And so, you know, and he's moving fast. Like he's, his job was going to transfer him, and it was within a week or so that he was moving back. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not moving. That's just insane. You know, I got a house. I got responsibilities here. I'm not moving. So uh, I want to say it was the, the day before he was actually moving. And it, and it just hit me. Why not? You know, you can work in Delaware. You can still pay your bills in D.C. You know, you, you, you've been there before. I've, I've had long history with Delaware. I have lots of friends here and, and um, friends that are so close that I call them family. And so I'm like, why not? So all of a sudden, I just changed my mind. I said, you know what? I'm going. And so that next day, I think it was, if I recall correctly, it was on a Wednesday, we moved to Delaware. And I couldn't wait to get to church again. Need to get to church because I got to get this off me. Surely all these things are happening to me because God is punishing me for how I'm living. That's why he let my grandmother die. That's why he let me lose the baby. That's why he took my job. I mean, that's how my mind was working. And, and I needed to make peace with him and so that he would stop all these tragic things from happening. So early Sunday morning, I get up. I go to St. Paul's Baptist Church on, in, on Market Street. I think they're Baptist anyway. And it's so early. Again, the choir's practicing. People look at me like I'm crazy. Like, lady, you know, it's, it's early in the morning. Why are you here? I'm going to wait for the service. And, because I needed to get some relief. So I waited for the service. Again, I'm talking fast because I shared this with you already and I need to make a point. And uh, that day there was no relief. God did not alleviate the pressure. So I left that day and I was really scared because I thought, yeah, God has just, you know, he just ripped me off. And so that night, my boyfriend's aunt, whom you guys know as Sister Linda Penn, Linda invited me to her house for dinner. And uh, we were at dinner and somehow a discussion came up about church and I told her I visited St. Paul that morning and she invited me to her church. And I said, sure, you know, I don't know any difference. And so um, also Sister Beverly, whom I had met, Sister Beverly Griffin, uh, she and Linda, in case you don't know, are sister-in-laws, uh, she had invited me to her house for a Bible study. I think when I first met her, if you know Bev, you're going to get a Bible study. Um, but anyway, I visited Newark United Pentecostal Church that next Sunday. And oh my goodness, I walk into this church with Sister Linda and Sister Beverly, if I recall correctly. It's been 25 years, so give me a break if I get some of the details off. I come into this church and these people 
are speaking in tongues, arms flailing, somebody shouting, somebody. I mean, it's and my head is on swivel. I couldn't believe it. I mean, these people are crazy. I had never seen anything like this in my life. Never seen such a thing. I thought they had lost their cotton picking minds. And on top of it, wait a minute, I, I didn't. I, I need to tell you this. On top of it, the pastor was white. I was in total violation of every black code there was. First of all, you don't go to no Pentecostal church, and you don't go to no church with a bunch of white folks. Now, now, give me. I'm gonna tell you the rest of the story. You gotta be kidding me. There was a mixed congregation here, and the pastor was white, and these folks speaking all these times. Surely these people are crazy. They were certifiable in my book. So I'm standing there going, I couldn't believe it. So the end of the service comes, and then the entire church goes up for altar call. What kind of church is this? A church full of sinners? Because in my church, they extend the right hand of fellowship at the end, and only the sinners come up. But in this church, everybody went up to the altar. I said, oh my goodness, not only are they crazy, but they're all sinners. So this was a, this was a mess in my, in my thinking. But I went up to the altar anyway, because I didn't want to stand out. You know, all this, you know, hooping and hollering going, I didn't know they jump on me. I didn't know what was going to happen if I didn't go up. But I wanted to blend in, so I just kind of went up to the altar to blend in, because literally the whole church was going up to the altar. So I remember going up to the, to the, the altar, and I knelt down at the left of the pulpit. That's my spot. I'm, every time I tell this story, I have to tell it because that's my spot. And when I knelt down at that altar, really, I didn't come to repent. I didn't come to, um, you know, what people come to the altar for normally. Or the, I, I just kind of came to blend in. And I knelt at that altar. And oh my God, I felt the presence of God for the first time in my life. I thought I had felt the presence of God before. I'm beyond. I thought those chills you feel, I thought that was God. And, and, and maybe it was, but. The presence I felt at the altar that day, it was mind-blowing. I cried, and I cried, and I cried. I don't even know where all those tears came from, if it's possible to have that many tears. I remember being embarrassed, because I'm like, they're going to think I'm crazy, because I'm at this altar crying this way. And I kind of had my head covered, and my face buried in the, in the carpet. And I am boohooing, because that presence of God was so awesome. It was mercy. It was love. It, it was so many things I can't even put words to. It was mind-blowing to me. And, yeah, I was probably at the altar for a good hour. You know, folks praying with me the whole night. You know, got, get, got you in the Pentecostal hole. You know, somebody behind you with the knee, you know, in a certain way so you can't get up. And I'm just like, Bleh! and I'm just having a time with Jesus. Anyway, so service, service is over, and we go home, and I call my sister. And I didn't tell her about this amazing experience. I told her about this crazy church. Oh my gosh, I went to this church today and they're speaking in tongues and these people are crazy. And we were on the phone just hooting up. We were having the best laugh. I remember cooking my dinner and cracking up with her about this crazy church and saying to myself, I'm never going back there again. Actually, I think I said to her, I'm not going back to that crazy church again. Well, you know how God is. When he gets his hook in you, it's hard to fight him. That Thursday night, as I mentioned to you earlier, Sister Beverly uh, Griffin had invited me to her house for a Bible study. But when I went to that church on a Sunday, I had decided to write all that all, not going around with crazy people again. But anyway, I found myself. That's the only way I can describe it. I found myself at her house that night. 
And I couldn't believe it. I was sitting in her in the, her living room waiting for other people to show up, and I was having this whole internal argument. Why are you here? Why are you back with these crazy Pentecostal people? You know they're crazy. And, and you know, it was the weirdest thing because I, I had intentionally gone, but yet I was there. That night, she taught the plan of salvation from Acts 2. She taught about repentance. She taught about baptism in Jesus' name. She taught about the infilling of the Holy Ghost and how that promise was to all of us. I was stunned. I had been in church before. I had been to Bible studies before. And I had been in church. And to my knowledge, nobody ever preached from the book of Acts. And, and I, I brought my own Bible with me. So I'm going, where did this come from? How come I've never seen this? It was right here in my face. And it was plain as day. But I had never seen it. I had never been taught. I couldn't believe it. So that Thursday began a thing. So every Thursday, I come to her house for Bible study. And I was blown away by the word. In fact, I was so blown away, I would share with my cousin who owned the hair salon in town. And, and you know, she, she'd come with me. And then she'd bring somebody. And then, you know, this became a thing every Thursday night. And all of them, you know, all the people that we were bringing were getting baptized. Yeah, our Brother Beers, the elder, you know, he, he just learned to stay up on Thursdays. You know, and, and it'd be 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Somebody was coming down to Newark UPC getting baptized in Jesus' name. Somebody or somebody's. It was happening every Wednesday for months. Um, I'm sorry, every Thursday for months. And even though they were all coming, and they were all obeying the word to be baptized, and they were all receiving the Holy Ghost, I couldn't bring myself. And I don't know why I believed it. I just couldn't bring myself to action. And, and I think back on it, I think it was, you know, I was thinking about my grandmother and what she would think about me. You know, she was very much in the Baptist church and, you know, I didn't want to be a sellout. You know, all those things and even culturally, I didn't want to be a sellout. And so I was battling this whole deal. And, um, and this went on from October until March of 1995. And in March, I found out I was pregnant again. Yes, I'm brilliant. And I'm like, oh, Lord, now I know more about God. Now his word is just wearing me out uh, and, and had been since I started learning it in, in, a, in that October before. And I'm going, this is now this is an all time low. Like now, you know better and you're still doing stupid stuff. And um, so I swore my cousin to secrecy, like, don't tell Sister Bev. I don't want her preaching, you know, hellfire and brimstone on my head. And, and so this particular Thursday night, she accidentally blurted out in the Bible study, you know, that I was pregnant. And I was expecting Bev to, whoo, you know, just lay it on heavy. But she didn't. You know, she went on to, to tell me I didn't have to be ashamed about this, that, you know, babies come from the Lord and, you know, um, you know how a believing parent covers a child and this kind of thing. And I, I'm like, what? But when she said that, you know, I, I thought, wait a minute, I didn't want this baby to um, reap what I sowed. And, and, you know, I was the one making the dumb choices. I didn't want my baby to pay for those dumb choices. So that night I said, that's it. Call that preacher. I'm going down to that church, and I'm getting baptized in Jesus' name. I'm going to live for God. And, and so we went down um, somewhere between 1 and 2 in the morning. And my cousin and I got baptized that night. The baptism was clear. But the Holy Ghost business, I can honestly tell you, I didn't... I, I kind of thought they were faking. Like, how can you speak in a language you don't know? Like, I, I, I didn't get that part, but I had been so frustrated about thinking about it so much that when I, I just said to God, if it's true, I want it. If you have something for me, give it to me. 
And when I came out of that water of baptism that night, you know, I just stretched my arms out and I just prayed. And in my mind, I said, God, I want it. I did want it. If it was real. Notice I still had doubt. If it was real, I want it. And it wasn't long before I couldn't control my mouth anymore. You know, I'm just making these weird, you know, I remember it wasn't a fluid thing, but it was this, and I'm going, what in the world? And I, why can't I talk? And, and then my mouth just, it was, it was just crazy. And then I, and then it dawned on me, oh, this is it. This is it. And then I started laughing and I go back to the put down, I know I'm weird that way. But I was astonished and I was so excited because God could reach me even through my doubt. Even though I wasn't sure about the Holy Ghost, even though I wasn't sure what these people were a bunch of quacks and whether they were making it up or whether they were just you know, some fake language, even though I wasn't sure, he showed me. He filled me with his spirit. And oh my goodness, that next day I was floating. You talk about peace that passes all understanding. I mean, I, my, you know, when I say this, you know, people think I'm crazy, but I, I, I have to say it every time because I literally remember thinking it feels like I was on Percocet. You know, I'd only had one experience of Percocet in my life when I had my wisdom teeth removed. And I remember that feeling of kind of floating and just, you know, and, and I remember connecting that feeling to when I received the Holy Ghost. Forgive me if I'm crazy, but hey, it's the truth. But I felt, oh, this is so, oh, you know, I, I felt like I was just floating around. You know, and, and went to work the next day just on a cloud. I was flooded. The peace. I can't tell you if I had ever felt peace like that before. But there was peace truly that passes all understanding. Well, I'm going to be quiet. There's a lot more to that story. And uh, hopefully in the future, there'll be time to share um, what happened after that. But that was my experience. And so I hope that um, encourages some of you that might be praying for the Holy Ghost. That you don't have, you don't have to have it all buttoned down to understand um, you don't have to have a full understanding of what God is doing to receive what he has for you. Take to him what you have, even your doubts, even your, you know, just, just be real with him. And God has a way of reaching through that and reaching you. He has no problem helping you uh, receive what he has for you. Well, I love you all. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to sign off tonight. Look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.